Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to put our tent pegs down in Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 5. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verse one through, verses 1 through 6, just to get the whole paragraph in there, but we're really going uh, to take a close look at verses 1 through 5 of Hebrews 13. Follow along with me as I read. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Lord, as we consider uh, this wonderful passage from your word. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from it. Lord, through my weakness, show your strength. Apply the message to our hearts and to our lives day by day. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'd like the focus of our message uh, this morning to be this, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are five commands in these opening verses of Hebrews 13, and the ability to carry out those five commands is made possible by being content with what we have because he will never leave us. Or forsake us. Now, if you happen to have, if you happen to be looking at a New American Standard Bible, you'll notice uh, that uh, that last part of verse 5 is in all caps. That means that that particular passage of Scripture is a reference, is a quotation from the Old Testament. And so we want to look back at that. So we put our tent pegs down right here, but we're going to go for a hike. We're going to go for a fairly long hike. We're going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you will turn back to Deuteronomy 31. The children of Israel have been wandering in the desert uh, for 40 years, and they're now preparing to enter into the land that God has promised them. Moses, their leader, will not be allowed to go in because of his personal disobedience to God's command. But he is allowed to give a final charge 
to the people of God before he dies and before the people go into the land of promise under the leadership of Moses' successor, Joshua. So Moses is going to give a final charge to the people here in Deuteronomy 31. And in verse 6, Moses says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, your enemies, for the Lord God, the Lord your God, is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then Moses is going to turn from the people of God to the one leading them, to Joshua. And in verse 8, he says to Joshua, And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then after Moses has died and the children of Israel are getting ready to go in the land, God speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 5. And he says to Joshua, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. The truth that God will not fail or forsake his people in their times of greatest need has been precious to God's people for millennia. So it is with the writer of Hebrews who is encouraging, exhorting, instilling with confidence those to whom he is writing, Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to our passage now in Hebrews 13. The context of that statement is most interesting in Hebrews 13. It would have seemed appropriate to me, if you look at that context, that many of us love that passage, I will never leave you or forsake you. But if you look at the context, um, it would have seemed appropriate to me to plug that statement in at the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews when persecution is being addressed. Uh, For instance, if you'll just flip back a couple of pages to Hebrews 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 32 uh, in Hebrews 10. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And then what if he had plugged in, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, it seems to you and me that that might have been a good place for it. But the writer of Hebrews, uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instead... And that passage encouraged them to endure to the coming of the Lord. And instead of quoting from Deuteronomy, from Joshua, he quotes from Habakkuk, that great truth that the just shall live by faith. So here in chapter 13, flipping back to our passage, 
He begins writing a, a number of practical issues at the beginning of the chapter, day-to-day experience kind of things, brotherly love, hospitality, uh, remembering brethren who are in prison or mistreated. He talks about marital purity. He talks about the love of money. And it is in this context that he says, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I think the most important phrase in that paragraph is also in verse 5 when he says, and be content with such as you have. So let's look at the implications of this almighty, compassionate, omniscient Father God never leaving us or forsaking us and thereby causing us to be content with what we have. Now I'm going to start here in, in verse 5 where, where this phrase is and we're going to work backwards to show how this principle of contentment because he will never leave us or forsake us applies to each of these commands. So here we are. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never never desert you, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. What if I am in dire financial straits? What if food prices, electricity prices, car repair prices, or just the general cost of living is skyrocketing, but my salary is not? Be content with what you have, because he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Verse 5 begins with, let your character be free from the love of money. So, do I not plan for retirement? How much is too much to think about money? For that matter, does it present a bad example for the leadership at this church to appeal for money from the pulpit or in an email? What does it look like to have character that is free from the love of money? We're going to talk more about that later, but not right now. I want us to go back to verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What about marital honor and purity? Wives, is your husband a different man now than the one you married? Are you not getting the support at home that you think you need? Maybe the devil is whispering the lie in your ear. I didn't sign up for this. Is it a temptation to covet someone else's husband? You know, coveting is the opposite of contentment. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I, God, will never leave you or forsake you. He who created your husband, who created you, who created your marriage, 
will never leave you or forsake you. There's not a man among us who has never had problems with his eyes going where they shouldn't go. Some have more problems than others. You married men, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You may say, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I was thinking of Matthew chapter 19, where the Pharisees are trying to trap the Lord Jesus in a question about divorce. So the Lord Jesus gives them some good teaching on divorce, and in that context he defines biblical marriage as being between one man and one woman for life. But then he goes on after, the, after his disciples have said, this is hard, you know, if this is the way it is, people ought even never to get married. So Jesus goes on and he gives some very interesting teaching. He mentions three kinds of eunuchs. He says there are eunuchs who were born that way, who were born eunuchs. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. But then he says there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So those of us who are Christian singles should see ourselves as having ministry opportunities that we would not have if we were married. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, before we consider the command to remember those who are in prison, I want to do a little word study on what it means that he never leaves or forsakes. The Hebrew word that's translated in the Old Testament, you might have noticed a little difference. It's translated fail, as in I will not fail you. And the Greek word translated to leave or desert in the New Testament both have the idea of letting drop, to abandon or cut loose, um, as in a sailor cutting loose ropes. You know, in Acts 27, that great chapter where the storm and the shipwreck and the the sailors cut loose the rudder. That's the idea. So when he says he will never leave us, he is saying that he will, as the song says, hold us fast. The word for forsake in both Hebrew and Greek is a little more straightforward, meaning simply to abandon, neglect, or depart from. Isaiah uses this word in a number of passages, including Isaiah 54, where it is said that Israel is the wife of God. And God says, for a little while, for a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. But to us under the new covenant, he will never forsake. He will never Believe us. Now let's look at verse 3 in our passage. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. 
How are we to think of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? I think of those who have been broken, whose lives have been reduced to the level of mere survival. I think that they have learned this secret of contentment far better than most of the rest of us. This is often true even of unbelievers, people who have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a highly respected, world-renowned piano professor at West Virginia University when I was a student there. He was a Latvian Jew who had survived the Nazi concentration camps. And he made the remark, you can survive anything but a bullet in the head. He realized that every day that he didn't have a bullet in his head was a good day. To that extent, he was content. But now think of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus must be the very air that that brother or sister breathes. We are to remember them, to encourage them, to pray for them, but I think also to remind us to be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I believe that this command to remember our persecuted brethren is particularly powerful in terms of contentment because we are to remember our brethren in prison as if we were in prison with them. What must that be like? A dank, hot, fetid prison cell for the cause of Christ. Physical, psychological torture. I can feel the, the chains digging into my flesh. I can hear the, the footsteps of my torturer coming down the hall, a fist in my face, a lash on my back. If only I promise to never preach the gospel again. If only I promise never to name the name of Christ again. That's all I need to do. That's it. I don't have to really mean it. And I can be released from this. If only I will go back to my previous religion and then I can be released. But I'm not there. I'm here. I'm here with you. With my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm here in safety where I can concentrate on worshiping Him without persecution. This is beyond contentment. This is active gratefulness. It's a thankfulness that should motivate me to act on their behalf. Let's look at verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Hospitality. We live in such a xenophobic age. Um, I think for me the idea of showing hospitality to strangers may be the most difficult of all. 
It's not that I have trouble talking to strangers. I really don't. In fact, I kind of enjoy talking to strangers. But when I go to talk at a stranger at HEB, it's like they have a mask on. Wait a minute, they do. They do. Okay, but not always. We're not always going to have masks on. But we still have emotional masks. People just simply don't smile. They stay in their own world. I enjoy smiling and saying hello to strangers, maybe even trying to strike up a, a conversation just to pull back that emotional mask a little bit. I was in HEB a couple of weeks ago. I was walking down the aisle and a lady was coming toward me and, and she made eye contact with me and she said, I hope you have a wonderful day. But wow, that didn't cost her anything and it just kind of lifted me up. You know, we should be people that do things like that. When I think of hospitality, I think of having you into my house. I think of uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of hospitable. The first definition there is given to generous and cordial reception of guests. But here in Hebrews 13.2, the Greek compound word that translates hospitality, listen, this is great, Philoxenia. Philoxenia. Literally, the love of strangers, the love of foreigners. I take it that this definition of hospitality to strangers does not mean that when I'm in discount tire, I need to invite a stranger to lunch, although in some circumstances it might. But it necessarily means going out of my way to show kindness to those I don't know. And yes, that may take me well out of my comfort zone. Stopping to help someone change a tire, uh, proverbially helping the little old lady across the street, being a good Samaritan. You know, in September we're going to have a missions conference. We haven't had a missions conference in a couple of years. But uh, the only thing we have for sure, for certain on the books right now, is Sunday, September 19th. Dr. Larry Moyer, president of and founder of Evantel, is going to be here with us. And our whole Sunday schedule is going to be flipped. It's going to be all crazy messed up, and, but you all need to be here. So mark September 19th on your schedule. It sounds like I'm digressing, but I'm not because it involves the love of strangers. The readers of, Hebrew, of Hebrews would have thought back to Genesis 18, with Abraham entertaining angels without knowing it. He practiced Middle Eastern hospitality, an old man running and hustling around in the middle of what was likely a very hot day to be generous to his guests. We won't go to that passage now, but I commend it to you for personal study. It's a great, great uh, applications. We must understand that the heart attitude of Abraham in showing hospitality showed that he was content and generous with what he had, that it was consistent with Abraham's faith in the Jehovah who would never leave or forsake him. And the introductory verse to this epilogue, this last chapter in Hebrews, simply says, let brotherly love continue, let love of the brethren continue. Uh, let it remain, though it's a, a really active idea. 
The attitude at the end of chapter 12 of Hebrews is one of gratitude to God because of the stability we have in the new covenant. And in light of that, we are to let brotherly love continue. Now, I said earlier that we'd get back to this idea of uh, having character that was free of the love of money, and I want us to look at that. I want us to look back at verse 5 and see as foundational the warning to be free from the love of money, being content with what we have and the promise that he will never leave or forsake us. John Piper, in his book, Faith in Future Grace, points out that this and other scriptures seem to imply that all sin is tied to the love of money. Well, that seems a little bit of a broad brush stroke to me, but I think it's worth content, uh, considering. What is it about the love of money that produces sin? Or perhaps a better way of saying it is this, the same values and heart attitudes that produce the love of money produce sin. And what might those heart attitudes be? A reliance on our own resources. The writer of Hebrews may have said, do not rely on your own resources, but be content with what you have. For example, if I go out to dinner with someone and I've offered to pay for the meal and I realize that I left my wallet at home, I'm embarrassed. I'm not content to let someone else pay for my meal. For I think that I should be relying on my own resources. But trusting that God will never leave me or forsake me lets me know that God will work through this. Perhaps my pride is wounded. I look foolish. I'm humbled. I look like I'm irresponsible or weak. The truth is that God's doing something in my life. I probably need to be humbled at that point and rely on his resources. Really, when we're walking in the Spirit, we're trusting in his resources, not our own. And in this, we are most Christ-like. In this trust in his resources, we are most Christ-like. This brings us to the cross this morning. The cross of the Lord Jesus. This matter of relying on his resources and not our own, of being content in him because he will never leave us or forsake us, is powerfully stated in 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 20. It's the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you'll just turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 20, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. 
And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Now listen, listen. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The Lord Jesus was not relying on his own resources. He was relying on the resources of his heavenly Father. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for those hours was entrusting himself to God. He was not relying on his own resources And yet his Father, God the Father, turned his face away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was taking on himself your sins and mine. And the perfectly holy God could not look on sin, so he turned away from his own Son Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, the Father, in those hours of the cross, forsook his own son so that he could say to you and me, I will never, never, never leave you or forsake you. Let's go to the Lord, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that they will see that need this morning, that spiritual poverty, that without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible to please you. Without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can have no relationship with you and no eternity with you. Father, I pray for that person this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for those of us who have named the name of Christ. Help us to be content with such as we have because you will never leave us or forsake us.